Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good evening, everyone. I want you to bring to mind as we start a time that you finished something, a time that something was completed in your life. Often we can be engaged with something for a long time. We can be desperate for a moment that finally this thing we've been labouring at and working at and going hard after finally comes to an end. Ten years ago, I was doing my PGCE, which if you don't know, that's a qualification you need to do if you want to be a teacher. And there were so many different components to it. We had to do two placements in different secondary schools and a placement in a primary school. And during those placements, there were lesson observations. You had to have people come and watch you teach and give you advice initially. But by the end of it, it was checking that you make the grade, checking that you're good enough. There's also a list of standards that you need to, to prove that you had reached. You needed to somehow gather evidence that you could do all these things, that you met their description of a teacher. Then there was the stuff in uni as well. You had to attend lectures. We had to write essays. We had to do presentations. And it just felt like that year dragged on and on and on. And particularly the last month of it, when that second placement was finished. Uh, And at that point in time, it was pretty obvious we were going to pass. We'd had our lessons, they they judged us, they knew we were good enough. And yet it felt like we were still being dragged into uni and we were still asked to do another thing and another thing and another thing. And that month seemed to last forever. I remember one Wednesday morning, they called us in and we had to hand in our very, very last piece of work. And we handed it in and they signed it off. And that moment, that Wednesday morning, about quarter past 11, we were done. Me and all my classmates, we left that university. And there was that sense of relief. We can breathe. We're finished. This thing we've worked at, it has now been completed. And then there was another question. Well, what now? What do we do next? Now, what we did next was we went to Weatherspoons and had Jaeger bombs for lunch. But um, that's a different story for a different day. We're here on Good Friday and we're reflecting on Christ's death for us. And in that reading that we just heard Abby do, we heard Jesus utter those words, didn't we? It is finished. And I believe in those words, in that it is finished, we find the key to understanding everything that went on that night. That is what it had all been built into. That's the moment that really encapsulates everything. Think about what went on that night. Think about Jesus gathering his mates together for a big Passover tea. And they're going through the story. Jesus is the head of the table. He's there to narrate the events of the Passover. But he he takes a bit of a twist and he, he reinterprets it. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he takes the wine and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then uh, leaving the meal, he goes to the garden to pray. He knows what's going to happen. And he's praying, Father, take this cup away from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Judas betrays him. He gets arrested. He gets put on trial before Herod and 
before Pilate. And Pilate knows that he's done nothing wrong. Pilate knows he's not guilty. He knows he doesn't deserve to die. But he doesn't have the bottle to stand up to the crowd who are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So he gives him over to be killed. They take Jesus, they beat him, they whip his back. And then they they force him to carry his crossbeam up the hill. But he doesn't have enough strength left to do it. He's too weak. He can't stand the weight of it. So they grab a guy out of the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, and they say, you carry it for him. And they make this other guy carry the cross for Jesus. When they get to the top of the hill, they nail Jesus to the cross. They put them through his wrists and through his feet. And then they, they stand it upright and hang him on this cross to die in between two thieves, one on each side of him. And after a few hours of hanging there on the cross, it gets to this moment that we read about where he says, it is finished. Maybe you could step back a bit further. Maybe think about that whole last week of Jesus' life. Riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, being hailed as the king, the son of David. Hosanna to the one who's coming. The crowds are all pro-Jesus. But the leaders don't like him. The religious authorities are against him. And they manage to turn a crowd against him. And public sentiment goes from being pro-Jesus to being anti-Jesus. They want him dead by the end of it. So... So they cry, crucify him, and he gets crucified. And it meets this point where he can say it is finished. You can step back even further. Think about the whole of Jesus' ministry, going from town to town to village to village with this small group of followers that he's gathered. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's telling people what God is like, how God works in the world as he goes he's healing the sick and he's casting out evil spirits and he's reaching out to people who are excluded and there's a refrain that goes through it time and again people would push Jesus to do more and he'd say something like no the time has not yet come the hour is not here these are the things that he would say but that tells us that a time would come an hour was on the way and then that time came and Jesus hung on the cross And he could say, it is finished. You can zoom out even further than that. You can look at all of history. How God created humanity in his image to rule over this world on his behalf. But humanity turned away from God, preferred it our own way. And we fell and the world fell with us. And yet God didn't give up on us. And then throughout history, God continuing to call people to walk with him, continuing to make promises, continuing to show his grace, promising that however often people failed, he would still be faithful. And he hadn't given up on humanity. He would send one, a suffering servant, by whose wounds we could all be healed. All of it building up to this moment, Jesus on the cross, who could say, it is finished. All these threads, all these hopes and dreams, they weave together. They find their crescendo on that first Good Friday. Jesus, God the Son, incarnate in the flesh, hung upon the cross. After several hours, knowing that his work had been done, he raised his head and declared, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That little phrase, it is finished. That's what I want to dwell on this evening. 
I'll give you a little bit of Greek while you're here. I'm sure you, you want some. And that, that phrase is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. It's only one word in the Greek. A.W. Pink said eternity will be needed to make manifest all that tetelestai contains. Eternity will be needed. Now we have about 20 minutes, so we're just going to scratch the surface of it. But actually for all eternity, we will more and more and more become into an appreciation of what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. Here's the first thing that I want to just observe. Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Now that would be very different, wouldn't it? I am finished is not the same as it is finished. You know, that PGCE that I did, the second placement in particular was the hard one. So the, the first one, they kind of held your hand through it a bit. They gave you a lot of help and a lot of guidance. The second one, you were more on your own. You were having to step up and teach properly. And, and it was difficult. And I remember one of the people on the course, he really didn't like it. He, he went in every day uh, and didn't get on well. The, the kids didn't respond to his teaching particularly well. He didn't enjoy being there. And, and kind of over time, he just came to this conclusion. Teaching isn't for me. I don't want to do this anymore. And then one day, he just didn't show up. He, he just, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. I am finished. Jesus on the cross didn't bail out halfway through the task. He didn't say, I'm done. He said, it is finished. I've completed the work. Everything that I came to do is now done. So what was it? What was the work? What was the thing that Jesus came to do that he could say on that cross, it is finished? Well, there's lots of Bible passages that, that talk about it. But since we're here on Good Friday, let's stay in the moment of Good Friday. Because when Jesus was on the cross, it is finished was one of seven things that are recorded that he said the seven they call the words from the cross and in these we we see what the purpose is we see what it is that was finished i want to share them with you today the first thing jesus said on the cross we find in luke chapter 23 and verse 34 where he said father forgive them for they know not what they do this was a prayer and jesus was praying this for the religious leaders who were responsible for having him crucified. They plotted against him. They handed him over. They were to blame for him being killed. And yet he's praying, Father, forgive them. Earlier on in his ministry, Jesus had taught his disciples, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In his last hours, there he is, practising what he preached, praying. And his prayer was that they would be forgiven. Now, forgiveness is writing off a wrong in a relationship. So let's say you do something wrong to me. I can then choose to forgive you. And if I choose to forgive you, that's saying the wrong that you've done, we're not going to count that in our relationship. I'm not going to hold it against you. That's not going to be a barrier to our relationship anymore. Jesus was praying that for the people who killed him. I mean, can you imagine many worse things that a person can do than killing God? That's quite up there, isn't it, on like the bad stuff scale. And even for people who did that, who were responsible for handing him over to be crucified, Jesus was praying 
that they would be forgiven. I think that's good news for people like you and people like me. However far gone we are, whatever we've done, wherever we're at on a scale, Jesus, even for the people killing him, prayed for their forgiveness. That means we can be forgiven too because of what Jesus did on the cross. Near the cross there was a temple and in the temple there was a curtain that separated the holy place where God's presence was and the outer courts where ordinary people could walk about. As Jesus died that curtain was torn top to bottom and it's in the barrier has gone that's, that's in the way from people and God. People can now be reconciled into relationship with God. Forgiveness could happen. It's finished. Second thing that Jesus said on the cross, this one was spoken to one of the thieves next to him. He said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now what had been happening is these two thieves had been having a little bit of an argument. We heard a bit of it in the reading that Tim did at the start. One of them, even as he was dying, thought it would be fun to take some shots at Jesus, to have a go, to join the crowd who were mocking him. I mean, imagine you, you, you're being executed and, and the best thing you can still think of to do is to tease somebody else. But that's what he was doing. And the other guy's like, mate, just, just hush down a little bit. Don't, don't you get it? You and me, we're here for our crimes. We deserve this. This is justice for us. This guy's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve to be here. And then he turned and said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And Jesus says to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear that word paradise. Do you think of the world as it should be? Everything's put right. God's blessing is just abundantly flowing. And none of the bad stuff is there. Covid's gone. All sickness is gone. Death is gone. Tears are gone. Evil is gone. Everything made right. It's kind of the echoes of the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Today you will be with me in paradise. If you know the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, maybe you've read the book or uh, you've watched a film perhaps and in that, there's the, the Wonka Chocolate Factory, which is the place that everyone wants to be. This idea of inside this factory is, is goodness, is happiness, is joy. That factory is like the paradise in the story. And the story is everybody wanting to get in. And to get in, you've got to find a ticket. There are five golden tickets hidden. And everyone is doing everything they possibly can to acquire their ticket into the factory. People are buying millions of chocolate bars and just unwrapping one after another after another to try and get them. And here's Jesus saying to this, this thief, this low life on a cross, I can give you the ticket to paradise. I can, I can let you in. Come with me and you will be with me in paradise. Through what Jesus has done on the cross, he offers that ticket to each and every one of us. It's not limited to five. Any who will receive it and put their trust in him can be with him in paradise. It's finished. Third one. This is a bit different to the first two. Jesus looked at his mother Mary and he said to her, woman, behold your son. Then he turned to his friend John and he said, behold your mother. Now what's going on here is that Jesus knows that he's going to die. By this point it's believed that Joseph, his stepdad, had already died and he's thinking about his mum and he's, I want to make sure she's looked after. I want to make sure she's taken care of 
when I'm gone. So he turns to one of his mates and he says, look, can you treat her like your own mum? Can you do good to her? Can you be kind to her? Can you treat her as family? And then he says, mum, would you treat John as your son? What he's doing is he's bringing people into family, even as he's dying. Those first two sayings were about getting our relationship with God sorted, getting forgiven, being in paradise. But that's not all that Jesus was doing on the cross. It is making us right with God, but also is bringing people together into family. And that's what this saying illustrates. In fact, the book of Ephesians goes further. It talks about how as Jesus died on the cross, it's like a dividing wall between people groups was broken down. And one new person is brought out of those who would be enemies. I read a book years ago by Brother Andrew. He's a Christian leader in the Middle East. He tells a story of this worship gathering that he put together with Christians from Israel and Christians from Palestine, people groups who naturally were enemies, naturally were at war. And he brought these Christians together and they just had an evening of worshipping and praying and being family together. That's what Jesus has done. He's brought family out of people who otherwise never would have been. It's finished. Next one. So in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, he said, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That translates to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a quotation from Psalm 22, verse 1. And it speaks of Jesus having this sense as he's dying on the cross of God the Father turning his face away. I mean, just think of it. For all eternity, Jesus as God the Son has known only the blessing of his Father. And here he is feeling forsaken, feeling abandoned, having a different experience of the relationship with his Father than he ever has before. Why is that? Well, we're told in the Old Testament that God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil. And there's Jesus carrying evil, carrying sin, the sins of the world, the sins of you, the sins of me, the sins of all of us in his flesh on the cross. It means that as the father looks at him, he sees this evil and, and he starts to judge. He starts to punish. The punishment of, of our sin, of your sin, of my sin, all poured out on Christ. No longer experiencing blessing, but experiencing wrath and judgment and punishment. Feeling forsaken in it. You know, when England won the World Cup in 1966, there's a famous moment that Bobby Moore's on his way to collect the trophy and he's seen on camera rubbing his hand on his shorts. And someone interviewed him after and was like, why were you doing that on your way to collect the trophy? And he's like, well, I had dirt on my hands and I didn't want to bring dirt into the presence of the Queen who was going to present the trophy. And there's something like that when it comes to sin, far more defiling than dirt. And God's presence, far more glorious than the presence of the Queen. You can't bring sin into the presence of a holy God. And Jesus did, deliberately. That was the plan to do it for us, because that sin was the, the thing, that was the barrier, that was what was getting in the way. And because he did that, that's how he can say, Father, forgive them. That's how he can say, truly, you will be with me in paradise. Let's look at the next one. John 19, verse 28. We heard it read. Jesus said, I thirst. And in this, there's a literal statement of thirst. Also, there's a hyperlink. Now, what happens in John's gospel quite often is he'll tell a story. He'll introduce a theme. He'll talk about an idea. And then he'll keep 
referring back to it and having little kind of links in there that take you back into all this meaning that he's established earlier. And this saying, I thirst, that's one of those little links. And it's referring us back to a story in John chapter 4, where Jesus met a woman at a well and he said something very similar to her. He told her he was thirsty and he asked if he could have a drink when she'd drawn water from the well. And she gave him one. And then he said, look, if you knew who you were speaking to, you'd be asking me because I can give you a different kind of water. I can give you a water that bubbles up to eternal life. I can give you something that satisfies not just the the natural thirst, but the thirst of your soul, the deep spiritual thirst that you have, that we all have. He offered her a water that could fulfill even that. Isn't that incredible that through Jesus' death, he can offer the water that bubbles up to eternal life. We can know God. We can be truly satisfied both now and forevermore. The sixth thing he said is the one we're talking about today. It is finished. And then number seven, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having done what he came to do, Jesus entrusted his spirit to God and breathed his last. And then on the third day, that spirit was reunited with his body as he was raised from the dead, as the first fruit of a resurrection to come. That's what we're going to be talking about on Sunday. So come back and hear more about that then. Jesus said, it is finished. And when he said that, he wasn't just saying, my life is over. He wasn't just saying, this ordeal on the cross is done. There's so much more to it than that which we've just started to unpack. It is finished. It is finished. And you know that word, that tetelestai, that's a perfect tense word. And what that means is that it is telling you something that's complete, but the focus isn't on what it took to get there. The focus is on what has been accomplished. So if I said to you, I have made dinner, your mind wouldn't go to me in the kitchen slaving away. Your mind would go to the table and this feast that's laid out before you. It's, it's the thing that's been accomplished is the focus. The Bible spends a lot of time on these final hours of Jesus' life. But it doesn't go into that much detail about the actual physical suffering that Christ endured. Now, partly that would be because to the original readers, what crucifixion was would have been well known. But also partly that's not the focus. The focus isn't on the the gory detail of the suffering. The focus is on what that suffering has accomplished, the forgiveness that you will be with me in paradise, this water of eternal life that we can drink from. Families being brought together. We gather on Good Friday. We rightly reflect on Christ on the cross. In these words, it is finished though. Jesus is pointing our gaze, not to his suffering, but to his accomplishment, to what he has won for us on that cross. It is finished. Christ has done it. You know, that's why we call it Good Friday. It's not just we're here mourning a friend. We're celebrating a salvation won for us. The secular sense of the word, the word uh, was not originally a religious word, tetelestai. It was a secular word. And where it was used was if you had a debt and you paid off that debt on the form about the debt, they'd, they'd put a stamp and the stamp would say tetelestai. It's finished. It's done. I don't know how many of you got a mortgage. Just imagine the day you make your last mortgage payment 
And that house is properly yours. It's not kind of yours and kind of the bank's. It's not something you need to worry about. And the bailiff's turning up one day and repossessing. It's, it's yours. There's no debt anymore. That stamp is on there. It is finished. The debt is paid. That's what Jesus was saying. Spurgeon takes this idea and he kind of runs with it and riffs off it in a quote. It's a long quote. It's a good quote. So I'm going to read it. But just listen to what he describes. It is finished to me. And the saviour meant that the satisfaction which he rendered to the justice of God was finished. The debt was now to the last farthing all discharged. The atonement and propitiation were made once for all and forever by the one offering made in Jesus's body on the tree. There was the cup, hell was in it, the saviour drank it. Not a sip and then a pause, not a draught and then a seizing, but he drained it till there's not a dreg left for any of his people. The great ten-thong whip of the law was worn out upon his back and there's no lash left with which to smite one for whom Jesus died. The great cannonade of God's justice has exhausted all its ammunition. There's nothing left to be hurled against a child of God. Sheathed is thy sword, O justice. Silenced is thy thunder, O law. There remaineth nothing now of all the griefs and pains and agonies which chosen sinners ought to have suffered for their sins. For Christ has endured all for his own beloved. And it is finished. I've read those words that Jesus said on the cross so many times over the years. But you know what? I still sometimes slip back into living my life like it isn't finished. I still somehow slip back once in a while into living like there's a scoreboard in the corner. And like I'm trying to rack up points to earn favour with God. And when I do something good, the score goes up. And if I do something bad, the score goes down. So I'm driven by kind of duty and a desire to somehow get my score higher. Or if I do something wrong, I'm gutted. I'm I'm devastated because my score has come down. Jesus on the cross said it is finished. He said, let's tear that scoreboard down. You never get a high enough score anyway. But actually, I give you all that you need. You're welcomed in. You don't need any accomplishments. It's finished. It's done. You're welcomed into relationship with God. Maybe some of you have spoken a I am finished word over yourself. I wonder if you've done that. I wonder if you've looked at how your life has gone so far. Things that you've done mistakes that you've made, choices that you've made. Maybe your life just isn't where you expected it would have ended up. 